huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. The world is full of pre-existing playbooks. How to build a business, how to market an idea, how to galvanize people around a cause. And most people, honestly, they just adopt one of those. After all, it's worked before, right? Today we get to hear the story of Scott Harrison, founder of Charity Water, who took an unexpected path into an entirely new playbook for raising funds. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. So there's really two themes here that I want to dive into both of them. The first is this idea of transparency around where the money is going. And then the second is this idea of like bringing someone as close as possible to the impact. I would love to hear, you know, what positioned you to be the person to solve this? What positioned you guys to be the charity to solve that missing piece of, of delivering the experience to people? I think a lot of it has to do with my experience in Liberia. Uh, I... You know, my background was very different. It was as a nightclub promoter who had spent 10 years from 18 to 28 just getting people wasted for a living here in New York City. So, you know, I was that, that kind of jerk living the, <laughs> you know, the fast life and standing behind the one-way glass deciding who got in the club. Sure. And uh, just sold all my possessions and went to go live on a humanitarian mission in, in Liberia. But while I was there, I had the opportunity to take 15,000 people with me. So the same 15,000 people that I'd been getting wasted for, for 10 years inviting to fashion parties came on this new journey of uh, almost redemption, of hope. So I realized there in those two years the power of, of connection, of storytelling. And many of my friends began to give to the organization. I wanted them to see where their money went. Day one at the organization was a party. And I threw my 31st birthday party in a nightclub. I gave my friends open bar for an hour. 700 people came. Nice. And charged them 20 bucks at the door. And this time, instead of putting $15,000 in my pocket, every single penny went straight to fund a few water projects in Uganda. And then I think just intuitively, we, we said, these 700 people will never expect to hear a thing. So we have a huge opportunity to restore their faith in, in that evening of this community of people coming together and the impact it made. So we sent a team out, we made a video of these projects, we sent photos, GPS, and a video to the 700 people that attended and said, look, you did this. And that was a transformational moment. I mean, that was the, that was a core value on day one that was etched in the foundation of Charity Water. We said, let's connect supporters to the impact they're making. Let's look for new and creative ways to do that. And it, it may take on many different lives in the future, but that is, that is a core theme. Yeah. So um, that moment of transformation, that you're sort of creating that all over the place. But I want to go back to that first day you, you woke up, new country, looking around, you're sort of there to figure out what to do next. What was that moment like for you personally? I mean, I was living on a ship with 350 other volunteers, and it was a huge hospital ship. And th this was in no way a yacht. This was a 50-year-old ship that was falling apart and had cockroaches. And I remember trading a, a pretty nice loft in New York for 200 square feet, and uh, I had two roommates. So we were all sleeping in you know, twin bunk beds. Uh, those guys worked in the engine room, and I was going to be the photojournalist raising awareness. 
And I remember actually feeling a little sorry for myself until, you know, we got out and we saw what conditions were, were like. Right. And I'll never forget my third day on the mission was a, a big moment for the organization was when we screened patients. So the advance team before the ship had sailed into the port would flyer the country and we would go look for patients that we could help. And the government had given us a football stadium where we could see the people. So I remember on my, my third day, you know, having sailed into West Africa, I get up at 5.30 in the morning, I grab my two Nikon cameras, jump in a Land Rover, and we turn the corner as we approach the stadium, and there are over 7,000 people wow. standing outside the stadium. Over 5,000 people who had come with, with great sickness, they had come with hope, they were all going to be sent home because we didn't have enough doctors, we didn't have enough resources, we didn't have enough surgery slots. And I just wept. I think that was just, uh, you know, one of those moments. In, in some ways, I, you know, I started to cry and never stopped. Uh, it, it moved me so deeply, confronted with such great need. And, and then got to see the 1,500 people that we were able to help. And, uh, you know, we, we could have done nothing. We could have just said, hey, this problem is just too big. Let's, let's get back on our ship and, and sail to the Caymans. Um, but instead, you know, we, we were able to, to save lives. We were able to improve 1,500 people's lives. And I think for me, that led to, well, how could I make an even bigger impact? What would it look like to eliminate some of the sickness and disease that so many of these people were getting you know, through bad water? And what would it look like if 7,000 people didn't turn up because they, they were living in healthier situations? Yeah, so you are pretty much for all intents and purposes an outsider in this world. You have a background as a club promoter. You've not grown up in you know, nonprofit administration or anything like that. But you decide to start this organization. You start, decide to take steps to make it bigger and bigger over the years. Do you think there are inherent benefits to being an outsider when you're solving problems this big? I really do. Um, a key factor in, in Charity Water's growth over the years has been the attention to, uh, to detail, uh, the importance placed on brand and storytelling and transparency and some of these values that... I think are not really sector-wide or are not core to the sector. So many humanitarian organizations are run by development professionals, amazing people who have served the poor, who have lived in villages, um, remote villages often for a decade, who know the ins and outs of sustainable development work. But there's often a poverty mentality that, that goes through that. And, and these aren't people necessarily that, that bleeding edge of, of innovation uh, when it comes to online tools or building community. So in some ways, I think I was uniquely unqualified to start the organization. And in other ways, I was uniquely qualified because I think what some of these causes need are promoters. They need evangelists. They need people who can passionately stand up on behalf of, of people who have no voice. You know, 663 million people, simply because of where they're born, are drinking disgusting water today. And... I was born in a family uh, in Philadelphia. I've never had to drink dirty water my entire life. So I think being uh, an advocate, being a promoter for an issue like this, and then not having any of the trappings of the way things are done. I'll give you one example. I mean, I bet you still get direct mail from charities. Sure. Well, we, we never sent a piece of direct mail because it just seems stupid to us. Uh, I didn't know people who responded when organizations bought our physical mailing address and sent us a bunch of paper yeah. and then asked us to, to write checks. I mean, I can barely find my checkbook. I pay every single thing online. 
Um, and you know, we saw this as the future. So we said, well, let's not hire direct mail agencies and go buy physical mailing addresses. Let's get a Twitter account. Let's get an Instagram account. Let's sign up on Facebook. Let's sign up on Snapchat. Let's try to build an online community. And oh, by the way, it doesn't cost anything. You don't have to buy stamps. You don't have to print paper. And you know, I think time and time again, just being able to start with a clean sheet of paper, look around at what other people are doing, embrace innovation. I just remember so many people say, well, that's worked for us for 30 years, and that's the answer. Well, sometimes things stop working. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if direct mail is going to be effective 10 or 15 or 20 years from now if it's yeah. even around. Right. But I'm pretty sure that movements will still be growing on social and connecting people uh, to causes and, and impact. Do you think that the donor to Charity Water looks very different than the donor to uh, more longstanding organizations? We definitely have a younger donor. I think we have a, a savvier donor, a donor who expects more, uh, more transparency, um, more efficiency. Um, but we have also seen you know, donors to the, the big established organizations embrace our work as well. So I, I think we, we skew young, we skew digital. The diversity of the donor base has been something uh, I've always been surprised about and, and really, um, really proud of. Yeah. You know, just across faith groups, I remember uh, getting a, an email from a Jewish synagogue once. Actually, it was a letter, actually. And they said, you know, here's $10,000. We'd like to sponsor a project. And know this, this is the first non-Jewish organization in the history of the synagogue that we have ever supported. But your values are so compelling and so aligned. Um, I remember during Ramadan one year, we had a bunch of school kids in Dubai send in $60,000, wow. uh, having found us online. It's really become kind of a place, I think, for everyone. And we've invited believer and the non-believer into this story because we believe everybody can stand for clean water. You know, no matter where you're born on this planet, you have clean water to drink. You have your most basic need met. I think everybody can stand for generosity and compassion and, and a greater empathy um, the thought of walking in someone else's shoes and then and then helping them. Uh, I remember at the beginning, you know, doing a word study on charity and saying, "Wow, I actually love how pure that is." If we could take people back to the true meaning of the word, it has become tainted, you know, for so many. Um, it means you know slow motion kids with flies and infomercials with eight hundred numbers and. But, but it's a beautiful thing, and I think everybody can stand for that. Everyone can stand for love and generosity and, and the simple idea of helping your neighbor in need. Yeah, it's pretty universal. There's something that you just said that really stands out to me, which is this idea that the old playbook is not as, as effective as it used to be. I wonder if you look at your own playbook and wonder if and when that could happen to some of your, um, your strategies and tactics. Do you ever kind of look to the future and try to figure out, okay, what will replace this? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's, that's absolutely happened. Uh, one of the things that, that drove a lot of growth in the organization was this idea uh, that we really stumbled upon, I guess, about nine years ago about asking people to donate their birthday. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned day one of Charity Water was a party in a nightclub for my 31st birthday. A year later, I said, look, <laughs> I don't want to throw another party in the club. We've outgrown that. Um, that was nice. Um, but what else could we do? And and I got this idea that, you know, really, I didn't need anything for my birthday. Uh, and, and 660 million people didn't have their most basic needs met. So how could I 
you know, accept gifts for my birthday when there was such disparity, such injustice in the world. So I thought, well, how about this? I'm just going to ask everybody that came to the party and then hope it even grows not to come to the party and to donate my age in dollars. And I thought that would be sticky. Yeah. $32 for my 32nd birthday. And 100% of the money would go to projects. Uh, you'd get to see them. And I even promised that I would drill a well from Kenya live via satellite. So all the donors could actually see the first water project going in. So to my surprise, just by emailing everyone I knew and that idea spreading, raised $59,000 without wow. spending anything. Yeah. So I said, look, uh, this is a bigger idea than just, you know, than just me. Anybody could give up their birthday. Nobody needs any more crap. And whether you're seven years old or whether you're 89 years old, uh, what if we could kind of reclaim the birthday and we could make our birthdays about others instead of about ourselves? What if we could turn them into generous moments, into giving moments? So a seven-year-old kid right after my birthday in Austin, Texas, starts knocking on doors and says, all I want for my seventh birthday is $7. And he raised 22 grand. Wow, that's amazing. Now he did live in a nice neighborhood. Yeah, that's a good neighborhood right there. And then Nona Ween, who was 89 years old, uh, went on our website and, and set up a page and said, I'm turning 89, and I'd like to make that possible for more people. And we w- realized, wow, this is so beautiful. You know, Nona realizes she's double the life expectancy in so many of these countries where we're working because of the privilege she was born into. Uh, it, it's an amazing thing to do. I've done seven birthdays now. Um, I did my, my son when he was born. I'm about to do my daughter when she's born in a couple months. Oh, that's exciting. And and it's just, it's a, wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful way to help. So we do think a lot about the future. I think one of the things that uh, we are really thinking about is, is subscription revenue going forward. Uh, how do we build a monthly giving program that is compelling? How do we take people from a mentality that is often one and done with an organization? Hey, came across Charity Water. That sounds great. Right. Here's 100 bucks. Uh, so over the last 10 years, we've helped 6.1 million people get clean water. That's 1% of the global problem has been solved just by the million supporters of Charity Water. What about the next 10 years? Would you sign up uh, as long as we keep doing the right thing, as long as we keep being good stewards of your money, as long as we keep innovating, would you give us a, a, longer, uh, a longer run to, to partner with you? So thinking a lot about that, uh, we'll, we'll probably launch uh, the program in our 10th anniversary. Still don't know where we're calling it. Um, but for $30 every month, you can give someone clean water. It's not much, but it's a lot over there. It's a lot when, when you're a 13-year-old girl uh, that has been walking for water five hours every single day. Uh, you're then bringing home brown, viscous water, giving it to your family. It's making them sick. And then one day, because someone donated their birthday or a bunch of people were giving 30 a month, uh, a drilling rig rolls into your remote village. Eight local drillers jump out, uh, start looking for water. Three days later, there's a geyser of water clean water shooting up uh, over your village and later that week you're drinking clean water for the first time in your life your walk is eliminated and your walk is you know going from five hours to five minutes it is absolutely transformational and uh, as someone who spent so much time in the field over the years I've been to Ethiopia 27 times now since starting the organization and every single time I come back I'm I'm more inspired by the importance of clean water I really believe it it is transformative really believe it changes everything yeah it's incredibly impressive so you've been doing this for 10 years now what have you learned in those 10 years what's changed your mind what has influenced you uh, to where you are now 
I think I've remained an optimist, although I've seen you know some really terrible things, uh, and uh, I, I've seen things that have <laughs> scarred me in a way. I, I lived in a village, for instance, where a 13-year-old girl, uh, after spilling her water one day that she'd spent eight hours collecting, uh, put a noose around her neck and, and hung herself oh from a God. tree. Uh, getting to spend time with her family and and see how that tragedy shook a family, shook a village, visiting her grave, walking in her footsteps, seeing that tree where they found her body. You know, these are these are indelible images that I think can be really disheartening. Um, and I've really just tried to focus on the people we're able to help. I think you you can often break people into two categories. There are people that say the world is getting worse and it's just this is a terrible place and we humans are just uh, making a mess of everything. Uh, and, and there are, you know, there are examples of that. <laughs> but there are other people that say the world is actually getting better. And if you look at the numbers on so many of these stats around malaria, around uh, water and the progress that's been made, around infant mortality, you know, we really are improving people's lives. And so I think I've managed to, you know, in the midst of seeing some, some terrible, terrible things, uh, stay really focused on the, the hope. You know, we are a brand of opportunity and hope, not a brand of guilt and shame. Right. We don't want your money if you're giving because you feel guilty or shameful. We want your money if, if you're inspired and, and you really want to give. You believe that um, that your generosity can actually make an impact on people. Um, I, I've learned a lot of tactical things. I mean, I, I've, I've never been a, a great process thinker. So, I mean, there was a moment years in where we had, I don't know, 100,000 donors on spreadsheets. And oh, man. Not having you know, invested in some of those, those systems and infrastructure earlier. I think um, I, I learned how to enjoy asking people for money. You know, for years, it was, I love telling the stories but I never wanted to ask people to give. There was just something maybe about my upbringing. Um, I, I wanted to be the giver, not the asker. Right. And over the years, I've realized that it is, a, it is an honor to be able to ask on behalf of other people. And uh, I've, I've really kind of embraced it. And five or six years ago, I would have told you, I just hate asking people for money and I wish there was all the money. Now I've really leaned into that and believe it's almost, it's almost a gift we can give people to unlock the joy of giving, unlock the generosity that's, that's often deep within them, um, unlock people who may have been scarred by, by a bad charitable experience. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. If you are trying to restore people's faith, you must always do the right thing, even when it's tough. And there was a moment a year and a half in when the organization had raised millions of dollars for water projects, the 100% model was working, but we hadn't figured out how to raise money for overhead. And we were about to miss payroll, and I think we had nine or 10 employees at the time. And I remember the advice I was getting at the time was, hey, go borrow from the millions you've raised for water projects. You gotta pay your people, you have to make payroll. And I remember being so uh, incensed you know, by the insinuation that we would do that, that we would betray the public's trust, that we would borrow a penny allocated and promised to water projects. So I was going to shut the organization down on principle and say the 100% model didn't work. Let's try something else. And at that moment, uh, a miracle happened. Uh, a complete stranger walked into our office, uh, learned about what we were doing and wrote a million dollar check for overhead. 
Wow. And, and we went from almost shutting the organization down on principle, on values, to uh, over a year in the bank and, and time to innovate and, and time to, to take that one person who believes in us and, and go list 110 other families who would believe in, in Finney Overhead. So I think, you know, I would hope to tell a story like that five years from now, 10 years from now, where we have made tough decisions. And I hope they, they go the right way. Um, but I think staying true to our, our core values of generosity, of respect, of, uh, of integrity, of passion, and of innovation. I think we, we can't ever lose that, that innovative spirit and the willingness to try things. 19,000 projects funded in 24 countries. 6.1 million people now have access to clean water. Thank you so much for, for all you do, and thank you so much for joining us today. Cool. Thanks so much. The Grow Show is going on the road to San Francisco. On May 12th, we're going to be hosting a live episode at our San Francisco Grow With HubSpot event. Want to come see the show in person? Head over to bit.ly slash sfgrowshow to register. It's free. We'll see you there.